You're listening to the Oh Yeah Dig It Podcast Show on Anchor FM and the Magic Squirrel Network. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's up, party people? It's your host, the one and only, no need to be phony, Justin Gregory. Welcome to the second official episode of the Oh Yeah Dig It podcast show. And again, as always, I want to thank all of my listeners for supporting me and taking your time to listen to my show. It's awesome. And some of you have been voting and interacting with me on social media. It's really cool. So I posted a poll after the Solar Babies episode on Facebook about what was going to be the topic of this episode. And the winner is... Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Well, I'm sailing, yeah. Well, okay. Honestly, I'm going to be real. Macho Man did win the poll. But in my defense, and with good reason, one of my listeners... Corey Dawson, shout out. Uh, he suggested, you know, hey man, look, um, Macho Man's really important to you, you know. And I said, right. And he was like, and he's like, you know, one of your big influences. And I'm like, right. And then he's like, you should probably do like a milestone episode about Macho Man, you know, like episode 25 or something. And I was like, oh yeah, you dig it. So that would bring that's what brings me here today. I'm doing blood sugar sex magic. We're gonna talk about it a little bit. Bow wow wow, it's gonna be a great time. And uh, you know, I think it's important to kind of mix it up like that. I'm not trying to throw my fans off. I'm not trying to throw you guys off, my listeners, you know. But I think it does make me unique um to do something like what was suggested, you know, like maybe use Macho Man for a milestone episode. Not that this is any less important, but um yeah, it just made sense. It wasn't something I thought about when I initially did the poll. So uh, that's what that is. Um, I hope you understand and still like the episode. Um, but so let's get to it. This nitty gritty funk punk committee. This uplift mofo party plan posse. Um, I'm just going to put it out there right now. Uh, I'm not going to talk about every single track. Uh, there's 17 of them on this album. But I'm going to talk about the ones that I like a lot. Um, the, the, the record's been out for almost 30 years now. I've been thinking about 28 or 29 to be exact. Uh, no, I'm sorry, 27 or 28, but we probably have all heard this album, maybe not in its entirety, but most of the hits on it by now. Um, but with that being said, boom, let's get to it. Oh, before I get started, I'd like to dedicate this episode to a special friend of mine, Susan Keller Capel. Uh, she won't tell anybody this, but she's really like a huge Red Hot Chili Peppers fan. Mm-hmm. So, Susan, if you're listening, hey, I know that you're like excited about this episode. All right. Anyway, anyway, let's get back to it. Red Hot Chili Peppers formed in L.A. in 1983. Hey, that's 36 years ago. Wow. The original lineup consisted of Hillel Slovak on guitar, Jack Irons on drums, Anthony Kiedis on the mic, and Michael Bowsery on the bass. But you might know him as Flea. Funny enough, though, they weren't the Red Hot Chili Peppers when they first started. The original name for the band was Tony Flo and the Miraculous Majestic Masters of Mayhem. 
According to RadioX.co.uk, this was the name the guys came up with kind of on the spot after garnering their first gig at the Rhythm Lounge in Hollywood in 1983. So up until the release of 91's Blood Sugar Sex Magic, which was their fifth studio release, they had released the uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers in 1984, self-titled, Freaky Styley in 85, the Uplift Mofo Party Plan in 87, and Mother's Milk in 89. Blood Sugar Sex Magic was produced by Rick Rubin of Beastie Boys, LL Cool J, and Run DMC fame, Warner Brothers, I'm sorry, for Warner Brothers Records. Ultimately, Blood Sugar Sex Magic reached number three on the Billboard 200. This was the band's foot in the door to mainstream and worldwide popularity. And according to Wikipedia, it was an influential piece of what was the alternative alternative rock explosion of the early 1990s. And I kind of remember that. I mean, I was, you know, in 10, 11, 12, getting ready to get in my teens. And this is really the time I really started discovering, like, you know, music for myself, um, I said in a previous episode, I was raised kind of by like a single mom. And so when, you know, she didn't have a lot of money, we would listen to the radio a lot. So she was into like, you know, the new wave stuff and all that. But uh, yeah, like I said, around this time, you know, I kind of like, that's, you know, when I got into like music for me and uh, this album really holds a special place for me and I'll, I'll get into that. But, um, you know, uh, yeah. Uh, the 90s, the, the time, this album, Nevermind by Nirvana and um, Stone Temple Pilots, you know, uh, Smashing Pumpkins, like those are some huge albums in, in those first couple of years of the 90s. Um, but from Blood Sugar Sex Magic spawned five hit singles in Give It Away, Under the Bridge, Suck My Kiss, Breaking the Girl, and If You Have to Ask. My favorite track on the album is I Could Have Lied, but I'm going to hit on that later. Um, so as it goes, uh, what, how, how the Red Hot Chili Peppers came to be with Warner Brothers Records, it's kind of a cool story in a way. Um, they were on EMI. That's who they signed to when they, did their, when they got that first record deal. Um, and from there, they kind of, you know, did their, did their salt's worth, you know, if you will, whatever they put in the amount of records they needed to give them or what have you. So then they initially signed with Sony and BMG, Sony BMG records. Um, But when this happened, like Mo Austin, who was an executive at Warner brothers, he actually sent the red hot chili peppers a letter. And he basically was like saying, congratulations on your record deal with Sony. Uh, Good luck to you. You know, we, we expect nothing but great things from you guys and can't wait to hear what you come up with. And Anthony Kiedis was like so taken aback by that. He was like so impacted. Like he was like, well, man, like the competition's writing a letter congratulating us on a record deal from their competition. So he kind of was like swayed. So he like did what he could to get them to Warner Brothers. And and it worked like, you know, they kind of I guess they relinquished their deal with Sony or whatever they did. But um, next thing you know, they was on Warner Brothers and um just to get to like a little bit about blood sugar sucks magic and like the red hot chili peppers. Uh, I want to kind of read a piece from Jeremy Gordon's review of blood sugar sex magic from pitchfork.com. This was in 2016. So I'm guessing it was like a 25 year anniversary review. I don't know, but he describes the band in a humorous yet perfect light leading up to the creation of BSSM, you know, blood sugar sex magic. Um, and it's kind of like this. They wrote songs about their dicks. 
They then stretched cotton socks over those same dicks and jumped around on the stage without fear of gravity. They were revered as a potent live act and got some songs on the radio, but they'd yet to make a strong step forward. Probably because they were putting the focus on their uh, nether regions <laughs> and not the quality of their performance. Essentially, they were heroes to any teenage boy who was of the mind that rebelling against the norms of the time was paramount to life. But after the moderate success of Mother's Milk, which went gold, baby, gold, the musical landscape began to change. Let's go back a bit. Starting with the very core of what would become the Red Hot Chili Peppers, you would have to go all the way back to 1977. This was when Hillel Slovak and Jack Irons formed Anthem, a Kiss-inspired rock band. Flea would become the bass player in 1979. Shortly after that, Kiedis would join as the MC. This incarnation of the band morphed into a new wave outfit called What Is This? Kiedis and Flea dipped shortly after this, though, for college. But the pair would still write music, creating what would be the foundation of the Red Hot Chili Peppers in 1983. So asking Slovak and Irons to join them, uh, they scored their first gig at the Rhythm Lounge in Hollywood. And as I said before, they named themselves Tony Flo and the Miraculous Majestic Masters of Mayhem. I'm guessing this was kind of on the spot right before the gig, like probably like there at the venue. Like, so what are you guys called? Boom. Tony Flo and the Majestic Masters of Mayhem. Because it didn't last long. After about a year of generating a solid fan base on the L.A. club scene, they had changed their name to the Red Hot Chili Peppers and signed to EMI Records. Their first record was self-titled, and it was actually Cliff Martinez on drums and Jack Sherman on guitar. Slovak and Irons had declined to record with the band as they were focused on What Is This? The most notable song on this album is True Men Don't Kill Coyotes. But Slovak did return to the band with 1985's Freaky Styly, which was produced by Parliament Funkadelic frontman George Clinton, and 1987's The Uplift Mofo Party Plan, which also included original drummer Jack Irons. A little fact, The Uplift Mofo Party Plan is the only Red Hot Chili Peppers album that featured the original four members. Um, Uplift Mofo Party Plan reached 147 on the Billboard 200. Not that great, but it should be said, new wave music was taking over the clubs, and this was 1987. So, yeah. So sadly, like in 1988, guitarist Hillel Slovak died from a heroin overdose. This event would cause Jack Irons to leave the band forever and would also serve as inspiration in the band's songwriting on Mother's Milk in 1989. Kiedis and Flea continued on with teen guitarist John Frusciante, a friend of the band and drummer Chad Smith. But Mother's Milk went gold, as I said before, and the, excuse me, and the quartet were <clears throat> pretty solid in their sound and in their drug use all at the same time. The culmination of which would give us Blood Sugar Sex Magic in 1991. So let's do a little backstory on Frusciante and Chad Smith. <clears throat> John Frusciante was born in Queens, New York in 1970. And at about the age of nine, with his parents being separated, his mother and himself moved to L.A. I don't know if that sounds right, but whatever. He fell in love with the L.A. punk scene, namely the Germs, and by 10, he could play all their songs. Crescente eventually evolved into studying guitarists like Jimi Hendrix and Frank Zappa, 
And at 16, he quit school and received what would be the equivalent of a GED and moved further into L.A., attending the Guitar Institute of Technology. But he wasn't staying there long. Um, After seeing the Chili Peppers at a concert, he became an avid fan, so much so that he learned all of Slovak and Flea's guitar and bass parts from the first three albums. Subsequently, he got close enough to the band to be friends, and soon a musical chemistry grew from this friendship. And at this time, John was intent on auditioning for Frank Zappa, but Zappa had a strict no-drug-use policy, and John had to rethink his move. He wanted to be a true rock star, you know, the kind that does drugs and girls and rocks out. Um, But, you know, then Hillel died, and um, after a couple of replacements, John auditioned, and the chemistry was natural. Enter Chad Smith. Chad Smith is really Will Ferrell. The end. Nobody went like me. Chad Smith was born in St. Paul, Minnesota in 1961. At the age of seven, Smith packed up, packed up. He picked up the drums and began to beat them skins to the inspirations of Rush, Pink Floyd, The Who, and Kiss. His foundation for the drums was not a formal training. Rather, it was from school band participation. He would go on to be in a few bands here and there over the years, but it was Larry Fratinagello, who percussionist with Parliament Funkadelic, who introduced Smith to R&B and funk. So with his chops at musician level, Smith went to Cali to pursue his musical dreams. In 1988, he auditioned for the Peppers as they were going into recording for Mother's Milk. He was actually one of the last auditions, and he kind of looked like a metal drummer, so the band was kind of like, eh, we don't know about this dude. But then when he played, like, they were super impressed. So with Mother's Milk, there was a successful tour, and then after a little jumping around, the Peppers signed to Warner Brothers and went into the studio to record Blood Sugar Sex Magic. In 91, the Chili Peppers released their fifth studio album and first record for Warner Brothers Records. Having to still deal with the pain of losing their friend and bandmate in Hillel, lost loves and sex, wrestling drug addiction, and political views. Add to that the frenetic energy they were known for, and the Peppers spawned blood sugar sex magic. So here's why this is important to me, this album. Um, uh, You know, if I can get a second with you guys, a little insight as to why it's so important to me. Um... I was 11 years old when when this album came out and and the moment under the bridge hit the airwaves. And, and I know like Give It Away came out first, but like I don't know that I just was there yet, but when Under the Bridge came out and, and you know, I just that was like I said earlier, my first time my own personal discovery or favorite band, you know, um everything I listened to before that was like kind of instilled in me by my parents' influence. But Red Hot Chili Peppers, they were the first band I got personally excited about when they came on the radio or like the video came on on MTV. But actually, more importantly than that, it was the first CD I ever bought almost 30 years ago. Well, 27 to be exact, because see, in the Christmas of 91, I got a boombox CD player. And one of my gifts was from my aunt. It was a gift card to a record store. Uh, I think it was Kent Mill Music for all of you Maryland people. Uh, But I took that gift card and I bought Blood Sugar Sex Magic. My aunt passed away last year, this month actually. So the album holds that significance as well. 
everything about it kind of gives you an idea about me too. The energy, the melody in which the slower songs impose an emotional state of love. And there is a nice balance of creativity and slapstick that shines of a unique texture in Blood Sugar Sex Magic. This album was everything I am, or was, mostly still am, put into songs. Still, I still fucking dig this album. I mean, I play it today and it's cool because it's kind of like I can I can listen to certain songs lyrically and, you know, I understand them now. I didn't really at 11 years old. I just was like, this band kicks ass. You know, it was my shit. Um, but it still is my shit. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, some of the political songs are kind of crazy too, like Power of Equality, the first track. Like, it's just... You know, the words ring true today in our political landscape. Um, but aside from that, like I said, it's it just the emotional value to, to me, you know, it's like the first CD I bought. I still have that CD. I still have it to this day. Um, and I mean, I probably wouldn't care how bad it gets. I probably won't ever get rid of that CD because of the connection. Um, but going into the tracks, I really wanted to I, I want to talk about Under the Bridge first because it's one of, if not the biggest Red Hot Chili Peppers hit they ever had to date. Um, uh, also, I'm just going to let you guys know, I do my research when I do these podcasts, okay? Like, I don't just, like, read completely off the internet. I don't just, I do cite a lot of internet sources, okay? That's the time we live in. But if I can find literature, I'll read that too. Documentaries. Um, so just to put it out there now, like my information for this episode comes from the funky monks documentary, which was, um, done during the recording process of blood sugar, sex magic. Uh, I do cite Wikipedia. I know it's not the most reputable source, but it is a valid entry. Um, it at least gives a foundation for information. Um, and some of the websites, you know, like I said, pitchfork.com. And then I also have Anthony Kiedis' 2004 autobiography, Scar Tissue, which is a lot, I'll cite a lot of stuff from that probably because that, I mean, that's kind of like straight from the horse's mouth, right? So, um, like I said, going through the tracks, I'm going to touch on Under the Bridge first, um, you know, and, and here's how, here's how, Anthony Kiedis explains in, in Scar Tissue how he came up with the song. One day I showed up to rehearsal and Flea and John were blazing on pot and in a let's ignore Anthony state of mind. And I experienced this melancholy sense of loss that John was no longer in my world. I could tell from the way he was looking at me that we weren't really friends anymore, other than the fact that we were in a band together and respected each other on that level. I rode home from rehearsal that day on the 101 freeway. And my sense of loss about John and the loneliness that I was feeling triggered memories of my time with Ioni and how I'd had this beautiful angel of a girl who was willing to give me all of her love. And instead of embracing that, I was downtown with fucking gangsters shooting speedballs under a bridge. I felt I had thrown away so much in my life, but I also felt an unspoken bond between me and my city. I spent so much time wandering the streets of LA and hiking through the Hollywood Hills that I sensed there was a non-human entity. Maybe the spirit of the hills and the city, who had me in her sights and was looking after me. I got out my notebook and wrote the whole thing down in a song structure, even though it was meant to be a poem, to deal with my anguish. A boom! 
No big deal. Just a poem turned into a song, turned into a mega hit. And that's that's how Under the Bridge came to be. So the guys went in at it at a more rapid pace than usual when they were recording Blood Sugar Sex Magic. And what came of that was 17 tracks of funk and power, sadness and relief. So like I said, I'm going to talk about some of those tracks. Minus Under the Bridge, obviously, because I already spoke on that. So let's get right into the first track, Power of Equality. This joint hits with a one, two, three count right into an energetic vibe right away. Kita's sociopolitical perspective is emphasized by Smith's drums in much the same way it feels when you're at a festival concert surrounded by a bunch of people and noise. It's not very comfortable, but damn, you're feeling the power of the music, so you don't really fucking care. I didn't know what the fuck he was talking about at the time, lyrically. I just knew it made me jump around. And like I said before, I do think this song of all the songs on there kind of rings true today, lyrically, in the political landscape we live in. If you have to ask, and I'm asking Wikipedia here on today's uh, second track, is a lyrically speaking, a stream of consciousness style run of non sequiturs, with the chorus then explains by stating the obvious. If you have to ask, you'll never know. Kind of sounds like a record single review for Rolling Stone. Personally, Breaking the Girl, the third track on the album, along with I Could Have Lied, are my favorite tracks on Blood Sugar Sex Magic. I'm a sap. I know. Again, from Scar Tissue, Kiedis writes, One day John approached me with some interesting music that was very melodic and in a unique time signature. John hummed the verse and a chorus, and the emotion of the chaos he was playing seemed to correspond. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry, people. Oh my god, did you guys hear that? I was almost dying. Oh, I'm alive. No worries. Let me go back. From Scar Tissue, Kiedis writes, One day, John approached me with some interesting music that was very mel- melodic and in a unique time signature. John hummed a verse and a chorus, and the emotion of the chaos he was playing seemed to correspond to my breakup with Carmen. I wasn't hurt by our breakup. I was relieved. I wanted her to feel the same and find her way in life. At the same time, I began to question myself and wonder if I was stuck in repeating my father's pattern of hopping from flower to flower. The girl of the day thing. Pretty moving stuff. I know I wasn't at that mindset in my early 20s. But I'm also not Tony Flo. Suck my kiss. Suck my kiss. The fifth track on this gem, and the third single off the album, is a kind of a song about drugs and making out, laced with metaphor and comparison between the two deeds. It's a banger for sure. Uh, but you know, at 11 or 12, I, I'm going to be honest, I didn't get some of the sex. I got, well, some of the sex stuff, I guess. I was kind of already learning about that in fifth grade um, school. Not not with girls or anything, just school. Um, but I really didn't know anything about drugs at that point. I, so the drug the drug innuendos and all that, I just was kind of like, oh, fuck my kids, fuck my kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's pretty much how it was for me, and that's kind of how I get when I hear the song today, too. Um, but it's a banger. 
So here we come to I Could Have Lied, my other favorite song on the album. It's real, so fucking real. And even today, when I hear it, waves of memories, feelings, relationships past, and even a beauty in applying it to my life with my wife today. This song was written out of angst and desire, love and honesty from Kiedis to Sinead O'Connor, with whom he had a short relationship with. It ended abruptly and it left him confused. Uh, who hasn't had that? You know, who can't relate to that? Um, short love, you know, where'd it go? What happened? Being left in the cold. I had a friend back when the album came out. She called me one day and said, hey, check this out. She went on to play the whole song on guitar for me. I was amazed. Not by a girl playing for me. <laughs> we were friends. You know, nothing like boyfriend-girlfriend stuff. You know, just friends. But I was amazed because it was the first time I realized I could play an instrument and I could do what these guys do. I don't know if I just never thought I couldn't or I just was being a kid. And I, you know, didn't pay attention to that kind of stuff or at least that part of music, you know. Um, kind of cool story, you know. That girl went on to be a musician herself too. Um, but I, I don't forget that because that, you know, corresponds to the song. So when I hear it, I think of that time. But also, it's just a great fucking song. I mean, you know, it's like just talking about the fact like he could have done all these wrong things, you know, and and he 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 did do wrong things, but it was never really, you know, like what did he do? I guess like it's a shoulda, woulda, coulda situation, you know, like and, and she still fucked him up, you know. She did very little in back, and she still fucked him up, you know. Could have lied, I'm such a fool. My eyes can never, never keep their cool. You know, showed her and I told her how she struck me. But I'm fucked up now. True words. But. Mellowship Slinky in B Major is a prime example of funk-infused lyrics that splatter all over the instrumentation. I know Kiedis is talking about a few of his favorite things, but it's scattered, nonsensical, until the chorus, where he reins it in explaining he's been playing for days. Maybe tired from the road? I don't know. He's looking for escape. Back to the crazy verses, which in a way kind of balance the chorus. It's like chaos, clarity, chaos, clarity, appreciate. Yeah. So on track eight, Anthony goes back to his political place to express his concern and hope in a better place, a better day. It's social commentary. It's pretty simplistic, really. According to songfacts.com, it's a lament about the death of the planet, abortion, and genocide. You know, that's the righteous and the wicked. But there is a positivity in Kiedis looking for a hero and a better day. Um, I kind of think about that song today, too, and it's just like, again, it's weird how, like, maybe this was what was going on at the time, too, politically. I don't know, because I was 11, 12. I wasn't giving a shit about that, you know? I mean, I was... I can't play in games and dumb shit. But when you listen to these lyrics, it's like, wow, you know, again, it kind of applies to our political landscape today. You know, killing fist of the human beast. I am praying for a better day. Anyway, which I think is what he actually says. Um, but uh, so on to give it away, give it away, give it away now. Give It Away is track nine on Blood Sugar Sex Magic. And 
It was the first single off the record. I did say that earlier. But it's funny because, like, again, I was reading Scar Tissue. And I did read this autobiography back in 04 when it came out. Um, and I'm rereading it. Obviously, like I told you guys, I do my research and stuff. And I don't remember thinking about this then, but it kind of, like, really hit me this time around. Um, it really, out of all the songs, this song really does have, like, a cool positive message and i know a lot of people probably like yeah it's like the most annoying fucking song on that album you know um but you know again anthony goes on to tell how it came about you know give it away give it away give it away give it away now uh that line had come from a series of conversations i had years earlier with nina hagen nina was a wise soul and she realized how young and inexperienced i was then so she was always passing on gems to me not in a preachy way just by seizing on opportunities. I was going through her closet one day, looking at all her crazy clothes, when I came upon a valuable exotic jacket. This is really cool, I said. Take it. You can have it, she said. Whoa, I can't take this. This is the nicest jacket you have in there, I said. That's why I gave it to you, she explained. It's always important to give things away. It creates good energy. If you have a closet full of clothes and you try to keep them all, your life will get very small. But if you have a full closet and someone sets something they like, sees something they like, if you give it to them, the world is a better place. It's pretty dope in theory, you know. Um, I, I think I'm going to have to work on that myself a little bit. Uh, you know, I'm always like, oh, this is mine. This is mine. And I'm not, like, not in a selfish way, but you know how we all get. Like, we don't think about, like, how important is, you know, when somebody's like, oh, that'd be cool to have that or, oh, I'd like to have that too or, you know, and you have it or whatever. And like, just like good juju, you know what I'm saying? Like, do we ever stop and really go like, oh, yeah, yeah, here, go take it. I don't care. People do it. I People do it, you know, but I want to work on it more. Like, I want to be more like, yeah, you know, because like, you know, we've had it, you know, or, or not to say we're bored of it either, but somebody else wants it, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty cool, you know, um, but the cool thing about this too is like, not with, with the awesome meaning, it's just, it's like kick ass, you know I mean? It's probably got the highest amount of energy on the whole album, you know, in my opinion. Um, and it's kind of, it's going to be different for you now. I think if you hear it, like when you actually know the meaning behind the song now, it's kind of like, okay, cool. Like that's a positive song, you know? And, um, with that being said, uh, I think like those are like the most important tracks to me on Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Again, as a whole, it's a kick-ass album. It'll knock your socks off if you've never heard it, which I don't think you have. Um, but I also understand there's like you know there's people out there that are like I'm not really a Red Hot Chili Peppers fan, and then I get it. I get it. You know they're they're weird. I'm, you know I have people who are like I don't understand anything he says. Um, but if we can flash forward a little bit um, in closing, just like every great band, there comes a point where like an evolution happens. And for me, like Blood Sugar Sex Magic was their evolution into realizing themselves, you know, um, not really as musicians maybe, but like, <coughs> excuse me, as people. Like as as entities, and and that's kind of 
the the feeling I even I, I feel like that's the feeling I got even at 11, 12 years old. Like this is my first foray into using music to express me, and this is what I'm about. And people who know me, like I am high energy, and maybe my voice doesn't carry that so much. Um, but on the on the other side of this microphone, like the personality and all that, um, I'm cheesy, and and you know all these things, and I'm not ashamed of it, and um, I'm annoying, and and but then I'm sincere, you know, and then I'm I'm short tempered, and, and 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 but I'm human. But the thing is, that's the beauty of blood sugar sex magic like that i think encapsulates the whole message is like going through all these things that everybody in life goes through here how do you find yourself and what becomes of that and like i said jumping into the future like the stuff they put out after that californication um you know so much growth i mean there was John had left. He had come back. Stadium Arcadium. I know they did one hot minute, and there's some great tracks on that album, but is you know, whatever. Um, but these albums, like, they still molded me after Blood Sugar Sex Magic. <coughs> and I just... I hope that you enjoyed this episode. It's, again... A little bit more information on something that you're aware of, but maybe you didn't know about. And like maybe, you know, sometimes when people don't know something, but they learn something, it gives them a new perspective on something they've passed judgment on in the past. But also to know, I've seen Red Hot Chili Peppers in concert as well, like once. I want to see them more. And they're one of the best shows I've ever, I've ever seen. And I'm telling you, like, you just feel that energy and, and like that vibe and the slapstick and like they still act like that to this day and like that's like the beautiful thing about it is like they've never really changed their music's matured i mean as it would i would imagine because they're getting older and whatever but they still make sure like they add they had they still make sure those albums have like the fucking energy that is the chili peppers that bombastic like crazy like chaos and you know i don't know i just this is what I wanted to talk about for my second episode. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope to hear more from you guys. Again, you can find me on Facebook at Oh Yeah Dig It or Twitter at Oh Yeah Dig It Show. And um, let me know, comment, you know, tell me what you thought. Um, any kind of support you give, whether it's through Anchor.fm, iTunes. Uh, you know, Spotify, I appreciate it. And if you have the ability to subscribe, please do, because it's only going to get better. And I appreciate your time. Good night.